What's good? Welcome back to Agitator, the modern day Scarface story disguised as a mystic juggalo weeb podcast. We're up in the cut with Adam Lair, author, rock star, juice head, indeed, maniac. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. What's good? Uh, my muscles are fuller, my body fat is lower, but my dick is fat as it ever was. <laughs> I've I've seen it plenty of times with the uh, in that that video. <laughs> That's not a fair representation of my cock. Those shorts were cutting off my my circulation. My wife my wife actually told me she's like it looks a little shrimpy compared to usual. I'm like fuck. They took that shot without me realizing, and I was just like adjusting myself on stage. Well, the editor yeah, really that likes fun. that shot because uh, it kept going, kept going back to it. Well, the, the <laughs> editor, the the um, no, actually, it was the the director. The only one who made any money was we hired a uh, really professional director of photography, and he's like, you know, liberal Columbia kid. And at first, I could tell he was pretty shocked by like the whole vibe of it, my lyrics. Me and Beanstalk's dynamic, me and Bradford's dynamic, the director, uh, and uh, one of my best friends. But um, it, it was funny. He slowly just started being like seduced. And by the end, I could tell he was really like happy and felt like, oh, I've seen I've seen something that I'm not supposed to be seeing or whatever, like a like like a De Palma film or something. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it was fun. No, it was fucking <laughs> it's ridiculous. It, it go it goes in uh in places I didn't expect it to. Oh no, because we diverted from the script like so much. By the end, I was like, "Wait, what is the actual narrative?" But uh, <laughs> but then we chopped it up uh, in the editing room, and it kind of makes sense. It's like cops bum rush our fans, and then Beanstalk and I execute the cops and steal their uniforms, and then we pretend we're cops, and then we see a hippie homo played by our homo friend Kevin dealing drugs. And then Beanstalk and I, we were like, get him, get the AIDS demon. And then we chase him down. But then at the end, like we're so moved by his patriotism with the American flag that we all just sort of have like a cathartic moment together and cry it out in front of the beach. Pretty fucking, I mean, I gotta say, I think it's the best start of 2023. <laughs> it's playing at a gallery right now in Australia, which is the mind-blowing thing. I'm like, how retarded are Aussies that they think this oh, is worthy dude. of a gallery exhibition? It's like, oh, dude, yeah, that's a that's a that is a that is a very fair question. I think we would pose that to listeners: How retarded are Australian people? I would say very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny though, because like, um. You know, I put so much work in to writing books and like keeping things. The Botch Stratification album was just like, took us about, we did four songs over four weeks. Beanstalk and I would just link up on a Saturday. He'd have the music ready. I'd howl gay poetry about male failure and uh, plastic surgery and anabolics over his like bro metal riffs. And then we just like get coffee or go like record shopping or something. And of course, this is like probably the most popular thing that I've ever done so far. We already have like thousands of fucking views. It was brought up in um, there's this art world listserv, Invisible Dole. It's like they're like the libtard cops of the art world. 
have been for a long time. They were like discussing my use of the term Negro genetics evade me. Like, is it justified or not? And I'm like, hey, bro, it's a it's a compliment to black people that they're able to get so yoked. And B, it's just like a quote from Rich Piana that I thought was hysterical. <laughs> Negro genetics, but yeah, the, um, I'm I'm pleased dude, with how my dad is, came out. My dad is 68. He's a black black dude. My stepdad, he's a, a, a 68, and he's he's jacked as fuck still, and he doesn't do shit. It's just good genetics. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah they have good genetics for muscle for muscle fat ratio. Yeah, yeah, it's really he's uh, he's got a probably a 28 waist, and you know just wow, that's tiny. That's tiny. Yeah. That's yeah, sick. Yeah, like, so he's got like a V taper. He's got the V taper. Yeah. And he eats ice cream and watches TV. That's about it. That's all he does. And you know, it's so crazy. You know, they have, I live across from Forest Hill Stadium where they have like mid concerts all summer. It's kind of a, been a nuisance to be honest, but they had a Rock the Bells today. And Rock the Bells, like, it used to be okay. Like I saw it once. It was Wu Tang and Rage Against the Machine, which was pretty lit, actually. Like ten years ago, this year it's all people that like haven't like the most recently successful artist was Ludacris, and then before that, Red Man, who hasn't put out a good album since like '94, or like I guess the Method Man Blackout record is pretty good, and then a bunch of oldies, Salt and Pepper, LL, etc. But what makes me think of this is like you're talking about your stepdad with this great physique but i saw like huge motherfucking black people today fat as shit and if they have genetics that rock solid what is going into their fucking bodies to blow it out to that it's just like straight up mountain dew code red as much like more mountain dew than i drink water or something it's probably oh, a different tribe. anyways yeah i've been a, a different tribe i've been door dashing <laughs> a bit lately to fill in some uh to fill in some financial gaps and shit and uh yeah i respect that yeah well thank you yeah every time i, I bring that up people are like oh man are you like are you like okay me so yeah it's like they'd rather me sell my ass or something <laughs> uh, but jack mason certainly would yeah yeah he'd, pr- he'd probably throw he'd, he'd, probably he'd throw prefer some down <laughs> i uh uh but no it's it's a lot of that actually like straight up no fuckload of mountain dew just a, a yeah fuckload it's like wow Y'all yeah the whole like line the line that i wrote negro genetics evade me i was just because i watch like like you know everybody has their like bullshit entertainment value stuff that they just like watch to pass the time and my YouTube algorithm is just all uh, bodybuilding and UFC. That's like the only shit that comes up. Occasionally some like old rock concerts or whatever. But uh, it was this one video between four uh, either current or uh, former pros and then two like industry influencers, one of them being the late Rich Piana, who's known for looking like Goro. Um he was like a cocaine addict, oxy addict, and just like abused levels of juice that no one in like the actual bodybuilding world would ever do. But so they're like, so half the guys are white, half the guys are black. And what I think is so kind of cool about bodybuilding is that they're so divorced from the discourse. 
So they're just having like a straight up race science debate amongst like black and white guys in the industry. They're all friends. And um, and one of the white guys, forget who it was, maybe like, I think one of the current guys, Hunter Labrada or something like that. But um, they were like, you know, black guys, they don't have to lift as heavy as white guys to get that hard conditioned muscle. They can get the same effect from repping out lighter weight and um two of the black guys were like fuck that that's bullshit i can outlift any of you here motherfucker i lift heavier than all you which i think is uh at least for one of them one of them was phil heat who's like a god uh so he was correct but then the other black guy goes that's true, man. I never went heavier than say hundreds on chest. And I would just do that for like 15 to 20 reps. And then Rich Piana, <laughs> Rich Piana just looks at the camera and he goes, Negro genetics evade me. Ha ha. And I was thinking these guys were going to explode at him, but they all were just laughing. I was like, that's well, it's like, cool. it's it, whenever you see dudes who do calisthenics, all the body weight guys who are black yeah. and jacked, like Hannibal for King or, uh, you know, some of these other guys, like they look great, but I'm just not sure that I could do push-ups and muscle-ups and, you know, a ton of squats and look like that. I just don't think it would happen. Yeah. And think of how much time you have to, I mean, honestly, calisthenics are were my base. Like when I was 25 or so, and I was just like a pale head fucking fitness guy. I mean, that was my thing. I used to like, take pills, run all day, and then do shitloads of calisthenics. I looked like Bruce Lee, but you waste mm-hmm. a lot of fucking time. You definitely mm-hmm. get a better workout in a shorter amount of time, taking your body to failure, lifting heavy. I always you think- You deadlift? I person- oh, fuck yeah, dude. Every week. Yeah. Okay. Every That's week. That's the problem, because I, I have a Planet Fitness subscription, so the best you can do is- They like don't a allow Smith them. Machine, a Smith Machine yeah. rack pull is what you can do. But I do miss uh, doing actual deadlifts when I had a real gym. But uh, anyway, sorry. That was just a random question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think deadlifts are essential for bodybuilding. Um, not everybody does. You know, there are ways to hit your lower back otherwise. But just like for proportional strength all in the middle, I love them. Uh, like typically hinge, only go Like a hinge like, with some dumbbells or something like that? I No, I use, I use uh, barbell for like... I just do a classic deadlift, reverse grip technically, uh, usually, and I'll do it in like a tr- pyramid structure. So like warm up 135 for 10, 225 for 10, 315 for 10, and then I'll do 405 for like six or as many as I can get them and then go back down. And by the end of that, you are just fucking, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always think like the eight to ten rep range is optimal for for growth, for growth specifically. Y'all seen those hex right. bars that were designed like specifically for deadlifting? Yeah, yeah, I've seen those on are, like Instagram and shit. Yeah. No, are they? What are those? The ones you stand. What in are they called? The, you you stand in. The, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You stand. Yeah, in the we have you, one of those at up. my gym. They're good for um. They're definitely good for trying out heavier weight before you go to the flat bar, but I still think classic deadlift is the the fucking ultimate. Is that I mean, and it looks of sick balance? It's like it's like a balance thing, or yeah, why is the 
Because it looks dope. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like, yeah, it's lit, dude. This That's fucking... the best answer, actually. That's the best answer. If you would, if you would come at me with some shit like, well, because you know the the isometric, uh, blah blah blah, whatever, I would have thought you were bullshitting. But as soon as you said because it looks dope, dude. I when you're you. deadlifting heavy weight, women's heads are fucking turning, dude. Because, like, your mm-hmm. pump is just everywhere. Last mm-hmm. week, actually, I'm fucking... When did I do back? I did back on Wednesday. This, um, It's funny, because I'm like... Everyone at my gym is, like, Latino or Asian because of the area we live in. So I definitely cut a striking figure. I'm just, like, this goth white guy wearing a cut-off sleeve like death metal t-shirt covered in tattoos. I mean, I look, I must look pretty fucking weird combined with the fact that I'm like easily in the top three strongest motherfuckers there. But um, I told this to my wife. I don't know why, probably because I was trying to let her know that I can, that I'm still capable of things if I wanted to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's very sweet. Um, chubby girl comes up to me and she's like this is gonna sound weird but can I ask you a question and I was like yeah sure sure baby shoot and um, she pulls up Instagram and she shows me a photo of this really cute uh, I think she thought I I must she must thought I was younger than I am but like really cute like 22 year old blonde girl that I've seen before at the gym or at least I've noticed her She's like, my friend is wondering if you're single and if I can give you her number. I was like, oh, damn, baby, you know, any other time, but I'm married now. And she's like, oh, my God. But I was like, fuck, son, I'm the Lord of this fucking place now. (laughs) So You waited until you you got married to get jacked. That's the issue. I know, I know. I did like married and post-marriage. Oh God, I would have been on such a crazy fucking tear in any other scenario. Now, if I like say one flirty thing, I live in fucking Jewish guilt for goddamn. I must have Jewish guilt too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that, dude. I get that. Yeah. But But, you know, I do, I do love my wife, you know, for all the fans out there, just, you know, I'm a good man with solid, (laughs) steady values and I've never done anything wrong in my life. <laughs> I'll, co- I'll co-sign that 100%. Hell yeah, dude. Let's go. Let's go. Let's talk about some Japanese. Some yes. Japanese. Uh, Adam, you gave us a five-page PDF of homework to do for this episode. And I'm glad that you did. Yeah, yeah a lot you need of some shit. context for this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's really well, cool. I wanted... I wanted to, so today on the show, we're going to be talking about Japanese noise music and uh, psychedelic rock from the late yeah. 60s up through, well, I guess the mid 90s uh, is, is, yeah. is some of it. Yeah, the psych um, rock dates back to the late 60s and then the noise, mostly 90s. Yeah, and I wanted to start with the noise. So I went in the order that you provided these uh, for us. So I started off listening to uh, Meersbau's uh, Venereology, and yeah. I knew Meersbau from, I, I, I want to say he did some records with Mike Patton on Ipecac. Um, he did. 
I definitely heard his stuff before, but I'd never listened to venereology and uh, I was kind of blown away, especially by oh, yeah. the, um, the fact that uh, this guy, Akita is his last name, was attempting to riff on death metal. This was his take on, on death metal. So he drank a bunch of beer and yeah. got his pedals and amplifiers and whatever the fuck else and made this incredible sonic experience and the reason why i like venereology so much is that the um the first half of the album is one track right and yeah you wrote something in the pdf that you sent us where uh you said you kind of break through at a point and i think i broke through it about oh. You good? Yeah, I just dropped some shit. It's all good. Oh, cool. I broke through it about like 10 or 12 minutes and I started to get it. And I was like, oh, okay. But it, I wanted to start off the conversation about noise music in particular and Japanese noise music specifically with this idea of art that you have to allow yourself to break through, right? Is that what attracted you to this kind of music initially? How did you get into this shit? Oh, yeah. Um, I got into it pretty fucking young, actually. Like, I've been knowing about some of the Japanese noise guys since pretty early in high school. And um, there were multiple routes of access to this kind of thing back then. But first of all, let me just say, I'm really happy to be discussing this topic with you guys on this show. I love with what you do with the specificity of the theme, Japanese culture. But you had like their their avant-garde music, extreme music, is one of their most important like cultural exports. So I'm glad to be uh, blowing this load. Nobody into better to talk to digital assholes. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, man. There's nobody better to talk um, to about this stuff than you. So so hit us with it. So I think I got into it. Um, all right. So I first, like, as a like 14 or so, I'm reading a lot of Terrorizer magazine, really getting into, I'd made the leap from, like, Slipknot to Slayer to, uh, and then Slayer to Norwegian Black Metal and, and Death Metal. And then I kind of rewinded the metal, and I was starting to go backwards from, like, nirvana to sonic youth and then like um sonic youth uh good band but i would say they're more important in like the cultural touchstones that they reference in their interviews and such and thurston moore from sonic youth would always talk about japanese noise music um and I remember I'd look at pictures of these guys and I just thought they looked really fucking cool. And then the first record I got was a Merzbile album. Um, it wasn't Venereology. It was uh, one of his other big ones. But at first, I didn't even really enjoy it sonically, but I liked the thrill of having discovered the like something that to me seemed like the end. Like, like you know, you can even like national socialist black metal, which is like extremely hateful and dark and violent and 
and very avant-garde in a way, it's still rock and roll, you know, it's guitar music. Mm-hmm. There's just something about the sound of noise that's so impenetrable, so voluminous that you're just like, I have to like this. I'm going to find a way to enjoy this. And then the fucking time that I really, really, really fell in love with this shit was seeing it in a live setting. The first noise show I saw was an American noise group called Cocky SP. Um, They're from Minneapolis. They have a rotating band of musicians, musicians in air quotes, but they're all sort of around uh, their ringleader, the main guy's name, Emil Hagstrom. Saw them uh, in Boston at one point. They showed up late. They plugged in and they played for max like six minutes. And in that six minutes was like fucking chaos. And um, and truly, like they started a mosh pit and it was just so they're not even like the most sonically gifted band. It's just like pure energy in a live setting. And then I became fucking hooked. So I would go to um, uh, this guy named Emil Bolau, real name Ron Lassard. He owns a record label called Records. It's how it's pronounced. It's like <laughs> R-R-R Records. But he's, he, he called, he's, you know, if you call the store, he's like, Records. This is Ron speaking. <laughs> and I would go, there, yeah. And um, I would go there and just buy everything I could get my fucking hands on. You know, there's like there's a special like collecting aspect to noise music because everything is rare. Visually, it's usually quite interesting. Um, and then you know, I saw a bunch of shows, and then when I moved to New York, um, Dom Fernow, who's prurient, uh, OG American noise, he's one of my best friends now, but he used to own this store on Ninth Street called it's the same name as his label hospital hospital productions i was only able to go there a couple times because he was already kind of closing shop when i moved to town and we didn't become friends till years later but um i went to his store and he had like the most immense collection of noise and black metal shit to buy so i just like you know in my first few weeks in new york i spent you know maybe two grand on heroin and then like a grand on records. And I'd be like, dad, I ran out of money. Um, (laughs) And then living in New York, of course, there's a lot more shows. Like the best noise show I've ever seen, actually. I've seen Merv's Vile twice. Once was at Hospital Fest, like a year before the pandemic, Dom's show. And that one was actually a bit, a little quieter. Then I've come to know his work. The first time I saw him, however, was at this club that closed a couple of years ago. Great place where I did a whole lot of drugs called Output, which was in Williamsburg near the water. Sometimes they would have techno guys come in and then occasionally they would have noise people. I saw Mersbell there and my noise, my ears were ringing for weeks. It was like the densest, it the two loudest things I've ever heard in my life were was that in my bloody Valentine I saw at one point in um, the Masonic temple, but like the thing with noise, the best way to really experience it is to just let the volume physically totalize you. You're not Mm -hmm. trying to hum to a fucking tune. 
You're not trying to even bang your head. Sometimes bands can kick it up with speed, maybe a slight beat, and you can get a mosh pit going. But something like Merzbow is purely about getting high as a kite, closing your eyes, and just like letting the volume crush you. Because you can physically feel this volume. The feedback creates an actual weight. Um, yeah, I've been... Um... Yeah getting ever ever since the uh the hospital shit i've been getting real heavy into like shamanistic healing and like uh occult magic ritual stuff to to kind of just build myself back up better in, in every way not just like physical health wise and so like been playing a lot of like choku ray music and set on intention meditation shit and noise feels a lot like that choku ray where it's just like after 10 minutes of just oh you're yeah. like out outer space you're somewhere else and noise is oh, like that certainly. same like just splits the fucking fabric of reality and now you're down some different chaotic hole certainly and there's like some noise musicians that have even kind of played around with that meditative aspect of it um alb comes to mind this finnish guy jocko van Halle comes to mind and, you know, it is at the point now, I think, like, noise is becoming a bit of a poser genre. Like, how many fucking uh, artists do I need uh, sent to my band camp every week that's, like, anal, anal, anal AIDS, new seven-inch by anal AIDS called I Have AIDS and It Sucks or whatever. And then it's just, like, uh, shitty power electronics with a kid, like, <laughs> screaming the lyrics of like some serial killer profile so like you know a lot of these kids are just hung up on like the content like they're like hot topicifying noise music when well, what this music I, really is supposed to be is like genreless it's supposed to be completely open to uh projecting all sorts of various content and themes onto it using just like the destruction like the actual erosion of the psychological faculties of the volume I, when I listen to uh, Merzbow's Venereology or like CCCC was another one. Yeah, that they're I, amazing. I, I, liked, I liked all of them. Uh, but there is a, a kind of thick quality to the good stuff. So I wanted to ask you as a noise guy, what, what distinguishes good noise from bad noise? Because somebody who, like, I turned it on for uh, for my wife. I just, I was like, here's what I'm listening to. And she's like, what is that? And I think a lot yeah, of people yeah. would, whether it was Merzbau or, uh, you know, one of these bands that you're talking about, it would be indistinguishable. So for you, as a noise guy, what's separating the two? Well... I mean, first of all, your wife's uh, reaction is perfectly valid, you know? Yeah, right. I think a lot of people respond to it like that. And I wouldn't like ever. It's really not meant for everybody, you know, even me. It's not like I listen to this shit all fucking day. Like mm -hmm. you know, half the time I'm just listening to Metallica. Guns and oh, Roses. I want to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there, because uh, actually there's an interview with Merzbow that's really interesting where the interviewer asks him, how do you uh, see yourself? putting your music in front of a wider audience. And he just straight up goes, it's not for a wide audience. <laughs> he, he says, it is impossible. 
it is impossible to do so. <laughs> yeah, and what's so fascinating about Merzbal though is he has kind of generated a wide audience compared to everybody else. Anyways, he's a uh, mm-hmm. he's he makes money. You know, people his shows mm-hmm. sell out. Right. Um, but I think when you're the king of something, you can always work that. But as far as like what I. Okay, so when I know something is good, it's not necessarily right away from the sound of it. All that helps. Like you can tell when people are taking things like production seriously. You can tell when there's a bit more skill going on. But I think what makes some like, like let's just go with the Japanese stuff. What makes this stuff ground zero and gives it such sort of grandiosity is that these guys, they weren't like making noise Noise to them was like, um, these guys were like conceptual artists interested in things like free jazz, psychedelic rock, um, uh, avant-garde compositions, and all these, they, they're not thinking about noise as like a separate thing, but like the uh, a thing that's a part of all good music. All music has an element that's noise. So they're trying to isolate you know, Merzbao's like, how do I take just that ringing fucking feedback sound that I hear in a Hendrix guitar solo and make that the thing? You know, you can't be thinking of it. These guys, the, the good guys aren't making thinking of it as noise music. They're just thinking it's noise. It is what it fucking is. I think what makes a lot of the shit today such trash is most of these kids are just like dorky fucking edgelords looking for new t-shirts to try on. It's like, they're like, oh, I like I like black metal and I like noise. I'm so extreme. But no- noise is like, it shouldn't feel, it shouldn't feel weird that you like something like Public Image Limited or like post-punk and then also like noise. Like there's a lineage between all this stuff. Um, and also there's this great essay that I have referenced a lot in the past because I used to write before my um, my most substantial cancellation. I was writing a column for The Quietus, uh, which is a experimental music website run by faggots and cowards in the UK. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was doing writing about contemporary art and noise music for them. And I had a column on noise music called Genre is Obsolete. This was a reference to an essay by a philosopher named Ray Brassier. Brassier used to be pretty lit. He wrote specifically about nihilism and weird art. And um, now he's just like a fucking annoying communist who just like writes thousands of words about class struggle or whatever. It's like, shut the fuck up. But um, Genre is Obsolete, he... He's making a case for what noise actually is. It's like he uses two artists, uh, two bands that I love very much. Um, first of which is uh, To Live and Shave in LA, which was a performance collective and like insane noise band um, spearheaded by this guy named Tom Smith, who, despite being a Gen X liberal, was like a truly delightful guy and a really fucking brilliant poet and artist and I was lucky enough to interview him uh, a couple years ago he recently died of cancer and then um this band called Runzel Cern and Gurgle Stock 
crazy band name I know, but they're these crazy Swiss motherfuckers. And he's using these bands to argue like, okay, they don't seem that similar, but they're both noise. So what is noise? Noise is everything that's not fucking music. It is not, you can't classify it as a genre because we classify music by genres. What are the, what is the element of notation happening that creates a certain structure? Is it pop? Is it rock and roll? Is it jazz? These are all different ways we compose notes. Noise has no fucking notes. Even if you do, it's just because you feel like doing it for the fuck of it. It's the parts of the, it's the part of the music that eludes notes. It's just fucking noise. That's what needs to be focused on. You're playing with sound. Like an abstract painter makes fucked visions of paint. A noise musician is making abstract art with volume and sound. Yeah, that's what finally like clicked with me too, just from a, a like what is this as a as a medium? It's like forcing an experience on you the same the same way as it's forcing your own projection into something the same way like abstract art does where it's like some people approach it and go what the fuck am i looking at am i supposed to squint and some people are just like i like the colors and then others are like i really feel something from this it's like no it's it just is what it is there's just something out there taking away everything else so that you have to give your own not necessarily meaning to it because it can be absent of any kind of it is absent of any kind of meaning or whatever it just is what it is which is noise that's it yeah yeah and like whatever meaning there is or whatever meaning you're projecting is typically guided by like the visual art and the packaging more than it's actually guided by the sound you know like if you're looking at a Mersbau album um you probably don't know what to think, to be honest. He kind of, uh, he's pretty broad in his aesthetic, actually. But, you know, you look at something like, uh, what's a good example? Let's think of the Finnish guys. Uh, oh, yeah, Miko Aspa. Miko Aspa, who does a, he's a black metal guy who also does a, it's like an OG noise guy for his project, Grunt. It's just really fucking harsh noise, but his packaging is all like, children being murdered whatever so you know that's what you end up thinking about while you're looking at it or while you're listening to it you know it's um it's an itch i actually have always kind of enjoyed that aspect to it it's very data in a way where like the actual art itself is pretty abstract and eludes meaning but then they can use to sort uh visual practice with the packaging and the liner notes and shit as a way to sort of create the aesthetic or to like project a, a meaning or content onto the aesthetic mersbau even had like a dadaist quote i think right that you you included well in his this, name uh... is a direct reference right found out why uh i decided to destroy all conventional music i thought nobody composed real surrealist music except pierre boulez and frank zappa but for me they are too musical I wanted to compose real surrealistic music in a non-musical way. Surrealism is also reaching unconsciousness. Noise is the primitive yeah. and collective consciousness of music. Yeah. Yeah. And his name, Mersbau, his band's, his project's name is a reference to a um, 
project by the Dadaist Kurt Schwitters, best known for being one of the pioneers of collage. But uh, there's an unfinished artwork called Merzbaum, M-E-R-Z-B-A-U, which um, he basically just remodeled the house with a bunch of found material, turned it into like a living collage. It's super sick, but it was never finished. And um, Merzbaum was like, all right, yeah, that's what the project is. And um, but you see right there, this is like a very this isn't just like some chud like fucking plugging in. And uh, and be like, oh wow, it's fucking loud! Wow, uh, this is a guy who thinks a lot about his work, and yeah, he has he has intention. Yeah, there's there's intention. He's got intention. Yeah, Masami is a a smart motherfucker. You know, it's actually um, uh, two buddies of mine, Mike Connolly and uh, Gray Holger, both noise musicians, but they also do a podcast called Noise Extra. It was originally just a Merzbau, um, it was originally just a Merzbau worship project. It was called like Merzcast. And uh, they did like five episodes. They were just going through his massive discography because the guy's got like a thousand releases. But Merzbau can't speak English that well. So he thought that they were making fun of him somehow. And he had like an actual chimp out on Twitter about it and made them uh, change the name of the project. So, you know, he's protective of his work, too. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, you know, they've probably played shows with him and shit and you know him. But I don't think like he probably just thinks he's so above like everyone else everyone you know he's the king so yeah he's like a super vegan too playing I yeah yeah and, he, yeah, and, 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 and he he made a total detour halfway through the interview and he was just like i feel like if you eat dead animal flesh that's the same as racism and i was like all right cool yeah yeah i fuck with it i like when people are crazy like that i like people yeah who have and I- passionate ideas about shit you know like i i don't have to personally agree with it i just i think that i like that he's an insane vegan who uh drank a shitload of beer and made this uh this crazy record i think that's fucking cool yeah and liking animals a lot is way cooler to me and more understandable to me than like um worshiping people of different races you know Right, I don't like animal right. cruelty. <laughs> you know, <it's>, <laughs> I don't think it's that cool. Um, you know, he has, you know, he he has made shitty records. Like the guy just, especially now, because he's just like, you know, he'll fart, he'll fart an album out and be like, and you know, some he's made like four hundred packages. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, like, he has he's made. He's, he's got one box ton. set that's alone four hundred releases. You know. Mm-hmm. So he's in the mm-hmm. thousands, but the shit that fucking hits is, uh, you know, okay. So the main criticism he gets is for a brief period, Masami was using all computers as opposed to analog equipment. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people don't really like that stuff. They're like, this isn't as visceral. I kind of disagree. I think a lot of what he did with like laptop noise was absolutely insane and innovative um but most people like the shit he did from the late 80s to the early 90s and the rec and the reason i chose venereology is because it's both a landmark record but also because it was released by relapse 
mm-hmm. best known for putting out lots of death metal and grindcore. Um, and, you know, this was the record that basically introduced him to a much larger audience outside the avant-garde. Because, like, you know, the way record labels like that worked back then is they were mail order. So you had some of these metalheads just, like, basically being fucking sent every record that came out. So they're getting Brutal Truth, you know, they're getting fucking uh, Nossum, all these, like, sick grindcore bands. And they're all extreme, but, you know, this is, it's still rock out fucking music. And then they're sent this disc by Mersbau with this, like, strange alien cover called Venereology. They plug it in and it's just like, it must that deep, people up. That deep bass rumble, too. That's what put me into a meditative state, I think, was that underlying Absolutely. rumble. I was, uh, I had sprinkled a lot of diametaceous earth around my house to like catch earwigs and shit. Um, And I was mopping it up and it creates this kind of paste. And as I was mopping it up, I was putting the mop into the bucket. And then as I was going to wring it out, the head of the mop was falling back into the bucket. And so I had my hands in this gross brown liquid and it was just in my earphones. It was just like, like that that rumble and i was like dude this is this is perfect because i feel like this album allowed me to feel a kind of unadulterated pure hate while i was listening to it towards nothing at all but it felt really good to just feel just angry like a nihilism yeah 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 yeah. but like completely unattached to language because even as soon as you say nihilism there's associate associations or hate that has associations too but i didn't realize until after i was done doing my chores and the album was over that what i was feeling was just pure anger and hatred that didn't manifest in physical violence or actual substantive uh uh hate so I think it's good for that. It's yeah, it's a cathartic sound for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he also on, like, I mean, the way he was, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Kelby. Well, on, on the tip of like um, the whole intention thing, like them having different intentions, that uh, the inc- incapacitance, how they, that album that you said, the one that you sent, set, set out to just, the repo album was just like pure harsh noise just obliterate your fucking ear holes it yeah. still catches some kind of yeah like it still catches some kind of wave of rhythm where it catches a wave yeah yeah you it, it, it's it's just crazy that like relationship between intention of the artist and then the the product that they come up with i felt always gonna listening be to some... the incapacitance one yeah. like and i got I had super fucked up dreams i had such fucked up dreams <laughs> it was crazy yeah i mean yeah let's we could uh because i could we could do mersbau for days but incapacitance is another landmark group um from osaka uh and osaka i would say is the city for it's like the main city for this stuff um and i'll be going there in april of next year 
but I'll oh, tell the right. rest of that. Yeah, I'll tell the rest of that pretty soon when we go down the list a little bit. But um, incapacitants are generally considered like um, like the ground zero for what we now think of as harsh noise, uh, where it's really just supposed to be like, you know, like Mersbau, um, this other guy that I love, Garrow, Garrett, good, 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 whatever the fuck it is. Uh, they're still using things like tape loops, collaging, samples. Uh, incapacitance was like, no, we're doing fucking noise. The only really like the interesting conceptual conceit of incapacitance is um, Toshiji Mikawa is a finance bro. Yeah. And sometimes there's like obscure references to global markets and whatnot in his liner notes, which is always <laughs> funny. And uh, he would wear suits live, uh, uh-huh. which I always like. I actually, uh, they came to they came to America maybe like ten years ago, to no longer than that no fun oh eight. Um, I wanted to go so fucking bad. They're headlining, and that's when that was like my peak noise. I was like, this is the most lit shit ever phase, but I was not able to attend because I was in Arizona. And yeah, but I, I I chose this album repo specifically one because it was recently reissued um, by this uh, what's the name of that fucking company? Oh, Irashima. So Irashima, quite a uh, controversial uh, thing in the noise world because they uh, what he does is he reissues some of the masterpieces, but then he puts them in these really elegant packaging and charges a shitload of fucking money so Mm -hmm. even though i'm not always down with the prices i think what he does is very valid because i think this stuff does deserve historicizing and um really hard to fucking get it's like okay i can get like a 45 dollar reissue that's like elegantly beautifully packaged or i can get like a 500 dollar tape um from some fucker on the internet with like scratches all over it so i think what he does is perfectly valid and i also just think repo is like one of their coolest records because like the all these guys are so they put out so much volume there's so much shit to sift through that it is like i would much rather sometimes just stick with these like main fucking albums that i think uh announces what the project is very well and 1989, you know, to 1990, this is the period when noise music is still quite isolated to Japan. But as you go to 1990, Alchemy Records is now a thing. And you have this like, and Incapacitants and Hijo Kaiden, who are about to talk about, are the groups that really started making this global tape trading a thing. And what's so crazy about noise is that it was basically for the first time that it wasn't American culture influencing Japanese culture. It was that Japan had cultivated its really own form of avant-garde expression. Yes, there were things like industrial music in the UK, in power electronics in Europe that were a thing, but harsh noise, no, very few vocals, no rhythms, no beats. That's Japan. And then because of that, guys in America get a hold of it. And then we have an American noise scene that starts to emerge. So it's really Japanese jizzing over the West. 
and being Let's like, go. hey, we can do shit too. Yeah. Let's fucking go. Um, no, I uh listening to the incapacitance record, by the way, there uh, a lot of it. I'm a big uh Mars Volta fan. And oh, there nice. are portions of the incapacitance record repo that seem to me to have been lifted wholesale and placed into Francis the Mute, which I think is their best album. But I could hear like the the childlike voices and the slamming doors and all of that under this kind of sonic wave of kind of woozy uh, sound. I, when I was listening to that, I was like, oh, shit, this sounds like Francis the Mute. So it had to have been an influence, I think, probably. I'm curious about the Japanese element of this. So this arose out of Japan do you know why? All I know is that these guys were hanging out at record stores. Uh, there's a couple stores in Osaka and Tokyo that were really good for imports. Um, and these guys were into things like psychedelic rock, free jazz, kraut rock from Germany. And of course, think like, you know, industrial music was already happening. So like noisy mostly electronic sound was already a thing like you had throbbing gristle you know you had non boyd rice in america um white house of course inventing power electronics my publisher philip best an important figure in all of this um but yeah what japan did where they were just like isolating specifically the feedback I don't know whether it's a pure authentic thing. There's a book that's written about it. Um, it's just called Japanese, written by this guy named David Novak. Good book. But even that is mostly focusing on like the feedback loop between the West mm -hmm. and Japan at this time, like the trading. Um, I, I, I really think might of it, part of it is just like, they heard and you know the ground had been laid in industrial music and they're like how do we you know Merzbaus thing is like how do i make this even more surreal how do i isolate the feedback more that's what it's all about it's like the feedback is all it is you know you we all love Jimi hendrix right Jimi hendrix at the time he was uh playing no one had heard anything that fucking loud before Ever. People report leaving those shows feeling like their ears had been blown out. He was also one of the first guys to really use feedback. Fast forward 20 years and the feedback that makes those Hendrix songs still have such balls to them is now isolated as its own form of expression. And it comes from Hapon. As well, and I think said. too, <laughs> I think, I think also the, uh, not to, I don't know. I feel like going back to the bomb is the easy way to do it, but I can't help, but think that when I listen to mayor's bow and I hear that deep rumble and that in insane noise, it does have a bomb like quality to it, right? A total destruction. Like what better country to have a, form of music that is trying to represent a totalizing destruction than a place that not you know 40 years earlier got totally destroyed yeah absolutely 
And you know what else is, I think, I think interesting to think to think about, you know, like uh, the band we're going to talk about when we get to Psych, Les Ralises de Nudes. These guys were like Japanese anti-imperialists that were bemoaning um, the fact that, you know, their society was in, you know, uh, absorbing traits from a country that nuked them twice. Mm -hmm. Um but they're they're a rock and roll band, so they're still using the primary mode of American expression. So it's almost like think about oh, here's noise. We're going to remove any aspect of westernness and just take the the noise at the end of a rock and roll song. Mm-hmm. We'll mm-hmm. steal that and then we'll send it back and we'll fucking it's like we'll blow their heads up the way they blew our women and children up. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's valid. I think that's a super valid way of looking at it because when you think about it from that lens, I mean, uh, Akita himself is—he's uh, sixty now, right? So he would have been yeah. the generation just after the generation that experienced that. So I think that um, if you think about the bomb being dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, while you listen to venereology, a lot of shit kind of starts to make sense Uh, in a story sense, not necessarily in a sonic or aesthetic sense, but in a metaphorical uh, story way. The next album that we have here. This was my favorite of the list oh cool Dude, this, yeah i love this album yeah this album is so hard hijo kaidan's tapes yeah i'll let y'all talk about that one this this one's fucking dope though they're all dope um yeah calby would you would you what 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 made you so hard with this one the texture of it whenever like it came up because i was uh i was actually listening to them out of order um just kind of clicking around all throughout the past few days going back and forth and uh i got stuck on mainliner for a little while and then oh god i love that band just that that shit was so good but then when i hit this it just had a different like uh everybody says crunchy but it, it it like applies it like has this crunch like grain to it that was different than just uh I'm just annoyed. It's like sonically the way it came into my ears. It's like it was on a lower frequency than the rest of them. It's like it went under my jaw whenever, like as soon as I press play, I was <laughs> what the fuck? Like it, yeah. it was a there was physicality to it that made me like incredible physicality. Yeah, yeah. I had yeah. to snap back oh. and pay it pay attention. I was like, okay, okay, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I um, of all of all my uh, favorite noise stuff, Hijo Kaiden is one that I actually kind of regularly listen to. Um, like I always keep it. I always keep the files downloaded on the computer so I can bring them back up. You know, most shit I send into the cloud. But um, they're important in more ways just than the sound. I would say their primary importance is uh, when they're. Their founder, they founded in 79, so they go back, you know, but they're founded by this guy named Jojo Hiroshige. He's the one constant member, and it was originally a side project of, I don't even know, uh, 
it's really hard to find anything recorded of them, but he's in this band called Rise and Kaidon, which I guess could have some sort of analog in the no wave bands at the time in New York, like Teenage Jesus, like really noisy punk bands. Um, and then Hijo Kaidon was like a side project. And he was like, I just want to do the noise now. Um, but they become a, a more set unit once Junko, who's a, an iconic like noise screamer, she joins the group. And um, I think what, I mean, first of all, they started Alchemy Records, incredibly important fucking label, um, created all sorts of distribution deals with Western stores to get noise in people's hands. Not just noise, too. They also put out a lot of Japanese punk bands and some jazz stuff, too. But I think what um, that physicality that you're talking about is Jojo is like the music he listens to is free jazz. So, you know, he's into things like Albert Eiler, Ornette Coleman, the more fucked up uh, Coltrane shit, all that music. Jazz is like pure physicality because it requires so much at, so much athleticism to play it. Mm-hmm. And a Hijo Kaidan show, these aren't motherfuckers like plugging into amps and just like squiggling at tables, which is like a lot of the time what it is. These guys are creating walls of sound and then balls to the walls, freaking out like they're Adam Lair in a botched chatification video or some shit, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and also but, like, the, um, like yeah some, some of these tracks too i mean circles has this insane uh they're they're obviously using guitars to mess with like it's some fret work type stuff but um when you get to salem's lot i was like damn this is an actual it's a spooky track it's it's at salem's lot i thought was kind of creepy yeah and i also loved how they always did cover songs but it would be like you know they cover um they cover faust the german kraut rock band on there and they cover fucking hawkwind british psych rock band who i absolutely goddamn adore of course uh lemmy famously of motorhead was actually in hawkwind as a young man so um you know they're like they're they 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 seem to be actively like giving this new music a historicity um and like you know because there had always been fucked up music like if you listen to the velvet underground in the late 60s you were like a pretty weird hit motherfucker you know that was considered like extreme music um ditto with free jazz or whatever but this music is sort of blowing everything out um you know, it makes everything else sound pretty fucking tame because there's nothing to like grasp onto. It's just like annihilating of the senses. And but he's kind of even with that aspect of the annihilation of the senses, it does have this almost like grooviness to it or like a lightness mm-hmm. of spirit or something that I've always gravitated towards. Yeah, there, there's a bit more instrumentation on display than just the uh the loops and the like you you can feel like the texture is also coming from it it seems like there's actual instruments going into the noise like not just looping a certain sound but creating 
use and i'm just i'm just basing this off of what it sounds like i don't know their actual process but it's like they're no no they they jojo does play guitar sometimes yeah okay yeah so they're using instruments not necessarily to not to create rhythms or to follow note patterns but to create this noise instead of just taking you know samples off of pre-existing uh orchestrations and then just like stripping it of its melody and all that shit yeah or like short circuiting apps and all the shit they usually do yeah and you know there are noise there are pure noise bands uh not noise rock you know noise rock is rock and roll that just sounds a little noisy but like noise bands that use guitar i was actually going to include one of my favorite artists um but I, I tried to keep it to like who I think are the five like most important historically or whatever. But um, there's this guy, Solmania, a uh, similar era as the rest of these guys. I think he started playing in the mid 80s. He's pure guitar noise. He shows up on stage with a 12 string guitar, double double axe. He builds these instruments himself, which is really cool. Um and he there's this awesome video that's been on YouTube forever where it's him in his apartment with his like amp stacked up to the ceiling. And uh, it just shows him plugging his guitar into like like several different amps. There's like three there's three output sources on the guitar plugs in and then he hits the first chord. It's like Boom. and you see his cat fly across the room behind <laughs> him like it's super sick. So, yeah, there's like. You know, most of these guys use electronics and pedals and circuits and all that shit. But there are people that will bring in guitars, horns, um, and other things that reference like the, the history of experimental music. And I would say Hijo Kaiden was pretty influential in that regard. Organs even, right? Yeah, organs too, which is super sick. Which brings us to uh, a super banger, uh, Masana. Masana's Inner Mind Mystique. This album fucking slaps. This was, oh, <laughs> this man, was really so cool shit. Yeah, this shit was super dope. So I, um, I would probably say of the ones you recommended in the noise category, I, I uh, uh, Mersbau's first for me. And maybe just because it was actually first. But Masana uh, really took me off guard with uh, just how dense and textured the whole thing feels. So, yeah, what did y'all think about? Or, well, I know what Adam thinks about it, but Kelby? Oh, yeah, it fucking rapes your head as soon as you hit play. It's just, (laughs) wow. And then it goes into so many, it's not even a roller coaster isn't isn't correct uh like you said it's dense so it's like this expanding and contraction of fucking obliteration of noise throughout i'd say like masana got me to thinking what this shit actually sounds like like what would i say this this sounds like a hurricane made out of made out of nails or like a, (laughs) a a wind tunnel full of like some alien frequency cranked up on 
like com- coming through the the static between channels. That's a great way of putting it, dude. Yeah, a wind tunnel full of alien frequencies. I could, I, I feel that. Yeah, the wind tunnel aspect, like a, especially. To me, it's like a rape fantasy, where like you think getting like you know how women all have like a subconscious rape fantasy where they like think getting raped might be cool. <laughs> Sure. I'll have to think that they yeah. do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Masana is actually my top, uh, my top dude for uh, a few different reasons. Um, I'm a performance artist. I, perf- you know, I enjoy the art of the spectacle and putting on a show. I, I appreciate showmanship. You know, my favorite fighters, Conor McGregor. Favorite bodybuilders, Ronnie Coleman. I think, you know, not that they have to, but I think performers who put some um, some effort into creating a sort of mythos around themselves is cool. And Masana very much is always, you know, he has like the long 70s rocker hair. He's always wearing these skin tight leather jackets and these big bell bottoms. And he'll show up to a gig with 10 people at the show watching and act like he's fucking David Lee Roth about to play, you know, an 82 about to play for like a hundred thousand or whatever. So I just really fucking love like, and even like the visuals. Cause he's like, he actually came to noise a little bit later than the other guys. Um, he was like an acid rock fan and psychedelic rock fan. And it wasn't until he heard a record I think he reports that the first noise record he heard, he really hated. And then over time, he just kind of kept coming back to it. And then he had this idea, but his visuals are always very like psychedelia, like dark psychedelia, bad trip kind of vibes. And I think that's his music too. It's like, it's like, you know, that when you take acid and the moment you know when it's kind of going bad you find yourself in like a thought spiral and you're like i fucking hate myself and i'm like a horrible Mm -hmm. person that's the journey masana's trying to take you on it's not like flower power but it is psychedelic it's like the dark recesses of the mind that can be unlocked through a psychedelic drug experience and he's also like you know he reports that he's really into jodorowsky who you could argue is maybe not playing purely with bad trip but about you know his films are sort of about um all the all the all the dark contours of the mind that can be unlocked through the drug experience i am actually so next year uh dominic ferno mm-hmm. um uh he's doing his hospital productions festival in osaka and you know um um, he asked me to go. Uh, I might do like a little documentation of it, like a journal for safety propaganda or whatever. But Michelle and I are going and we're going to make a trip out of it. So we're going to go to Osaka and then Kyoto and then Tokyo. Finally, I'll get to Japan. But the lineup is fucking insane. You know, um, it's like it's a collaboration with the with the metal label nuclear war now production so like the metal knight's gonna have beherit the black metal band doing their first show since 94 the the noise night headlined by masana and fucking self no so 
given that I'm a VIP, I will very much be best friends with Masana like a year from now. Because, I mean, come on. If there's anyone that can match his rock star energy, it's this fucking <laughs> it's out of fucking right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, and I, I um he has a couple records that are really, really great. I think Inner Mind Mystique is the best is the one that best captures this aesthetic that I'm sort of referring to. You know, inner mind mystique. You know, it's like all the parts of your mind that remained occulted or hidden. He's like, he's like suggesting maybe you take one hit of acid too much. Put the headphones on, sit in a dark space around people you don't know that well and uh, and let it and let it rip. You know, it's like just let the bad trip just wash over you. And um, I love the album cover, too, because it, it sort of has that. Uh, it's sort of like he's not that subtle, you know, in his imagery. And it's literally just like it has this sort of like a like MC Escher, like opening up a hallway kind of vibe. And it's just this girl like walking into this like illuminated portal and it's all ominous and dark. So, yeah, I think what's cool about Masana, too, is like he kind of comes off a little bit more chuddy than the rest of them, like less conceptually rigorous. But there, it's very clear that he's like very aware of what he's doing. Um, unfortunately, recently, he hasn't done much Masana work. He's been like doing this project called Controlled Death which is supposed to be a death industrial project in the style of European bands like um, Marco Corbelli or Atrax Morgue, which is cool for those miserable emo European guys. But when it's Masana, you want fucking rock star vibes. Um, mm. So luckily, he made a, a collab record with Dominic last year under the Masana name, and it seems he's finally reverting to the thing that he does best which is like bad trip noise god is it true that um you experimented with synthol and almost died from it oh yeah yeah it's very true
Well, that's tight. I'm glad that shit is going down because uh, yeah, Osaka's been like kind of in the in the agitators like guys for a little while at least. We were just that was like one of the best parts of Gaunt's when we were going through was this American infiltration of that storyline when uh when they get to Osaka. What it what about Osaka is uh is that more of like a westernized kind of place? I think it's just like I think every country has their bohemian city, you know, like um or like America, I guess, has several of them. But, uh, you know, you got like St. Petersburg, Russia, a little cheaper, a little bit more of an expat, a little bit more of a journeyman kind of town. I think Osaka is probably similar. It's less like dialed in to the technology and the rapid change of Tokyo. Uh, Mersba is from Tokyo, but like a lot of the shit's from Osaka, and I think Osaka just has enough distance from that to have let it be this like art city. Yeah, um, it's like it's where the it's the it's the retards, it's the Japanese rednecks yeah. that live in Osaka. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's they have a different yeah. accent, which I can't. I mean, I fucking can't tell the difference. It all sounds like Japanese <laughs> to me, but yeah. <laughs> should do the rest of the podcast like that just just in just in japanese turn this into a nice noise podcast. nice nice uh, noise. Uh, all right and then that brings us to the last noise record that adam recommended which is uh, which i loved um i know i keep every time we get to a new record i'm like oh yeah this one was my fucking favorite bro um they're all very worth checking out. I'll say that. And we're going to put those all in the show notes. But this is C, 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 Loud Sounds Dopa. It's a live album. I liked the live aspect of it a lot. Um, yeah. you'll, we'll get into this more when we talk about the psychedelic shit. Um, Adam, you linked us to YouTube links. So I was reading YouTube comments. And a lot of people, when you get to the psychedelia sh- uh, shit, they they say, oh, I wish that I could have just had like a clean recording of this. I want to hear like a studio version of the album. And those people are fucking stupid because the live aspect and the grainy uh, uh, kind of Tascam quality to the whole thing is what makes it all work. Some of this shit, especially when we, when we get into the psychedelic stuff, I feel like it would have been fucking like mainliner would have been crazy to see live as the sounds were oh, actually happening. Man. But the way that they were recorded and the way that we listen to them is different, but equally, I think, impactful. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at this, the way that. You know, a lot of these are studio albums, uh, but the CCCC is live and it has that kind of just, I don't know, everything that's supposed to sound shrill and piercing hurts that much more. Everything that's supposed to sound uh, dissonant sounds that much more dissonant. It's a really great medium for this type of music, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are noise bands for sure that like are meant to be 
you know, they consider themselves studio projects and there are some that don't even play live. Um, none of the Japanese guys play live. Like all of this shit is, I mean, I, you know, my brother had a hard time with noise, even though he's like a huge metal head. But I took him to No Fun uh, Festival 09, which was an amazing fucking lineup. Um, head, the two headliners were the British uh, noise rock band Skullflower, which is just like one of my favorite fucking bands ever. Just guitars played so loud that you sort of like come and die spontaneously. And then right before that, like Dom played with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but your dick's still working <laughs> uh, but um and then before that was dom uh and kevin drum played a show which is to this day one of the most ripping fucking noise experiences of my goddamn life they were absolutely incredible that night and um my brother just fully got it like holy shit i've never heard anything so fucking loud in my goddamn life you know it's it's weird because it's life affirming in a way, you know, to be to be throttled by something so intensely loud and physical. I think it um, even though a lot of the content is quite bleak, but like I think it actually is mm -hmm. very joyous to be sort of overwhelmed by sound in this way. And in the I same way that, that way, like and like I, I felt that way in 2004, I went to Trees in Dallas uh, to watch Phantomus one of Mike Patton's projects. Mike Patton, yeah. Yeah, and he had uh, the Trevor Dunn trio and the Locust opening up for him. And the Locust was loud as shit. And yeah, it was, they it could got, turn it got, it got to a point with the Locust where I was, I wasn't even really hearing music at that point. I was just feeling it. And they're like, you know, their songs are 30 seconds or whatever, so. It was 30 yeah, seconds fast core band. Yeah, it was it was like uh I don't know, like hit training or something like that. Like you 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 sprint for 30 seconds, you stop, you sprint for 30 more seconds. But uh yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anything louder than uh than the locust. That was pretty yeah. intense. Did you ever see the episode of Jerry Springer with the, the main dude from the locust on it? <laughs> no. No, what? Oh, it's iconic. It's like, it's like, you know, all these emo bitches, his like hoes and different area codes all showed up to like claim him as, uh, you know, he like they all thought he they were his girlfriends. And, you know, like, like, I think four showed up in total and none of them, they all thought they were exclusive with this guy. And they're like, <laughs> I can get away from my man. He's like. I'm in rock and roll. I do whatever the fuck I want. Like he was, like, <laughs> he's this weird looking scraggly it's, it's emo it, guy. Yeah, I was gonna say it's hard to it's hard to imagine all these women falling in love because they would wear these gimp suits on stage. Yeah. So yeah. they all fell in love with the gimp. And honestly, yeah, well, if that's if if you did that, then I mean, what did you expect was gonna happen? Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, Justin Pearson. That was his name. So he did actually play in a couple bands before the Locust. Um, he was in, uh, what, what fucking bands was he in? He, oh, he was in, um, Swing Kids. 
who was a pretty good screamo band in like the halcyon days of a San Diego screamo. So I guess that's how he had his face out there. But I don't even think it matters. Like women go so crazy for. It's just like musicians do get pussy. You know, if you can build a a small fan base, it's just like it's like the main perk of it. You don't have to be. It's kind of looking. It's kind of crazy, though. I mean, it's kind of crazy because I've I've had the reverse of that where I've seen a woman on stage where I'll be watching a band that's fronted by a woman and. uh doesn't even have to be a good looking one but you know if if there's a chick who's kind of like owning what she's doing and fucking rocking out i'm kind of like damn i wonder what her boobs look like but i kind of like yeah damn lizzo play that flute (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have very i have like very retrograde views when it comes to women and rock and roll music like if I hear like say a black metal band has a female lead singer, which is the case in like a few bands, I'll just immediately assume they're terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is no, I'm not talking about the quality of the band. I'm talking about yeah the the animal magnetism type thing. Yeah, I don't and know. they know I that too. It. Like women, that's what they're that's what like the other band is hoping sells. The fact that they have like a cute. I mean, imagine right, how they usually, everybody they, wanted to fuck Len Stefani. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I still would, yeah. by the way. Oh, God, she's so, she's the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gavin Rosdale, man, he blew that. He fucking had to go fuck the maid or whatever. She'd have to, um, she'd have to have the bindi on. If she had the bindi on, dude, it's game over for me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Speaking of female magnetism, CCCC. Oh, yes. Yes. With a uh, very much selling this. Mayuiko Hino from at, at least one Koji Wakamatsu film, one of his pink. Yeah, she's films. in a few, but that's the most famous one that she's in. Um, what was it? The Rapist of 13 Girls. Very hard to track some of those films down. Hard, but hard yeah. to try and search for it too without uh, <laughs> <laughs> going down. Getting a knock on your door, holes, you know? <laughs> Yeah, um, getting distracted. But yeah, I way. mean, but I think it was like it was obviously like um, a bit of a gimmick, you know, because in Japan, especially the guys who'd be drawn to this kind of music in these shows would know these films, so. They'd show up and she was really fucking beautiful, but there was like, and she was a great dancer, you know? So like you have this novelty of this insane fucking sound and this really hot naked Japanese girl who's like doing actual rhythmic dancing to a rhythm that doesn't exist. It was quite a striking image. And um, they were actually a couple at the time, her and, uh, and uh, her and Hiroshi. And um, they were their their tenure as a band was rather brief, actually, probably due to the that fact alone. You know, relationships and bands can can sink projects. It sank. It almost sank the aforementioned no doubt because that idiot fucking bass player thought he could do better than what's the funny <laughs> nice job retard. <laughs> um, and it sank Sonic Youth eventually when Thurston stepped out on his marriage um 
but yeah, so they did make a couple studio albums. They're all mostly pretty good. Um, CCC's novelty is that compared to the other music, they do have that kind of meditative aspect. Um, it's kind of trance inducing music. It's a bit slower. It's a bit more drawn out, a bit more musical at times. But when the reason I chose the live music is you still get those aspects, but you also get the fact that at their fucking best, these motherfuckers could tear the goddamn house down with the volume of their sound. And um, these records were all recently reissued, too. So uh, if people do want to track them down, CCC is pretty well documented at this point, And a lot of this shit can be bought pretty easily. Yeah, use promo code agitator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which moves us into the the psychedelic portion of the show. Uh I'm gonna butcher this shit, but Les Lay Reyes Days Nudes. How the fuck do you say that shit? Lay Ralies. Okay, it's like Lay Ralies de Nudes. Le Rayu, whatever. Uh, Let's just call them Danudes. <laughs> Danudes. Yo, this was a, it was a real shift from the noise shit, right? When I got to this, uh, uh, when I got to this kind of line of demarcation with these bands, um, there's something really interesting going on with this because this is late 60s, early 70s music. Um, you can hear the influence of, american psychedelic rock in it but it's doing something very different i think and it gets more different as we go down the bands but this one in particular you you see the lineage more with them uh but the vocals in particular are crazy yeah they, i've yeah, never sure. heard anything like like these kind of vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's sort of like sort of like yeah ah, nah, nah, nah. yeah yeah, yeah, it's like um, it's. I mean, but I I feel like that Japanese music has always had that interesting relationship with uh, vocalizing emotion, where I think it has a kind of uncanny valley to Western people. Like a lot of people like anime theme songs and shit, and uh, South Park infamously lampooned it with the does it wanna protect my balls like that kind of shit like they um i don't know what exactly it is but it's it's an emotionality that feels like it's coming from a completely different starting point than we have in the west that uh leads to something like this particular record which i loved i thought it was great yeah it's very different it's it's it, it it's so weird to hear something different that's 50 years old oh for sure i mean what's cool about japanese psych rock is it has its kind of there's a great book written by uh julian cope who is a british musician he was originally in the post-punk band teardrop explodes but um he eventually got interested in more far out shit and he's written some fantastic books. One of them is called The Jap Rock Sampler, um, which I own and where I've learned a lot of this information firsthand from. Um, he actually tells this story 
as a, a way to track how psychedelic rock went to Japan. And apparently it goes to this guy, Yuya Uchida, who um, was playing in London as a guitar player and um, was in a couple bands and uh, opened for the Beatles at one point and became very close with none other than fucking John Lennon himself. Around 1967, John Lennon says, oh man, there's this, there's this young Negro boy from America playing <laughs> named Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix. You have to go see him. They go see I'm Jimmy gay. in the, <laughs> they go see Jimmy in the, in the classic power trio um, form of the late sixties. His Yuya's mind is fucking blown, of course. And he goes back to Japan all excited. He's like, we need to play electric guitars, okay? We need to play electric guitar. Somebody cuts their fucking guts out. They're like, I can only play the weird thing that looks like a boat. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> um so he starts a band called the Flower Traveling Band, which uh, put out some great records, but I decided to leave off the list because I wanted to go straight to the more alien sounding shit. I would say that alien shit starts with these guys, Les Realises Denudes. Fascinating historical background to these fucking guys. They were members of the Japanese Red Army. Uh, so, you know, have you college, seen, have you seen the United Red Army? Have you seen the movie United yeah. Red Army? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it'll, it'll, it'll totally. Like, I feel like we covered it on the show about a year ago, and uh, that put me off of communism forever, and also kind of explained a <laughs> lot about what's going on right now in our world. It's yeah. Like, oh, this all makes sense. They're making a pregnant woman punch herself to death. That is communism. Yeah. Cool. Got it. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's a bit more understandable that these guys would become communists just because um, all of them are trying to rationalize the fact that, you know, they were basically becoming a client state of a country that nuked them. Right. So they're experimenting with different extreme political ideologies that they see as a counterbalance or uh, an, uh, an objection to Western liberalism or whatever. So. Yeah. Listen to the rest of this lovely conversation, plus gain full access to the archives, bonus episodes, read serialized novels on Yugen Junk Weekly, and gain access to the Agitator Discord over on Agitator Z. That's the $5 a month Agitator Z tier on patreon.com slash agitator. Yeah, buddy. It's on now. Hey!